Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, glad that you could be here with us. Uh, it's always great to have the kids on stage singing, and so it pretty much just means everything from here on out is downhill because nothing can top that. Uh, but uh, we want to say hello to everyone in Urbana. We love you guys, praying for you guys. Hopefully you're having a great morning worshiping at first with us as well. If you have your Bible, I'll invite you to turn with me to the book of John, chapter 10. That's going to be where we're kind of camping out for today. But before we kind of go any further, we want to actually first celebrate what happened last Sunday. Uh, for those of who weren't here, didn't hear about last Sunday, was Baptism Sunday. And we actually had 35 people uh, from both locations decide to take that next step of faith. And so, yeah, absolutely. Um, pretty amazing opportunity. And so if you are one of those people, we love you. We're praying for you. And uh, we are sending you something via snail mail. So if you haven't gotten it yet, it should be coming soon. But it is snail mail, so it takes a little bit while longer. Uh, we are in week two of this series entitled Grinch. And the heartbeat behind this series is to kind of come up with... Uh, things that can help us reprioritize and focus onto Jesus during the Christmas season. And so we decided to use the, the story that a lot of us are familiar with, uh, the, the movie Grinch, and we've been using this phrase that perhaps there's a little bit of the Grinch inside of us all. Last week we talked about what can truly change a person's heart, and so today we're talking about something that's kind of a central theme and concept in, in the Grinch story, which is the, the idea of joy, Right? The Grinch is all about how do you find joy? How do you get joy? Can you, can you give joy? Can you receive joy? Uh, in the Jim Carrey version, the person who kind of struggles with joy the most, in my opinion, it actually isn't the Grinch himself. It's actually the mayor um, who he is so focused on getting Christmas joy by becoming the cheermeister, right? He's got to wear the crown. And he gets all the glory and all the praise for keeping Christmas joy alive. He actually, for some reason, uses some of his own personal issues with joy and pins it on the Grinch and the Grinch kind of gets angry and that's where he decides to kind of steal all the stuff hoping to keep everyone else from having Christmas joy. And that, that, that whole idea, um, we, we look at maybe things or people who have Grinched us of joy, but in reality we end up Grinching ourselves of where true joy can often come from. When I was about 10 years old, uh, there was one toy that I wanted more than anything else. It was called the Dark Side Sith Droid Probe Foam Disc Shooter Toy. I'm pretty sure that's what it was called. That's basically what it did. If you want to find one of these, they're like $150 on Amazon now, which back then they were like 30 bucks. so supply and demand, people. Um, and so kind of what happened was uh, you had this lightsaber, um, and inside the lightsaber was this little sensor. And inside the sensor, the, the toy would actually follow the lightsaber. So if the lightsaber went this way, the toy would follow this way. And then if it went this way, the toy would follow. And then it would periodically shoot these foam darts at you, and so then you got to pretend to be uh, like, a, like a, a Luke Skywalker. You got to pretend to be a Jedi. And so, so what I would do is I set it up in the living room. I put couches and things. And I would try to get to the, to the toy without it hitting me. And I, like, it was, I was super cool, okay? I know what you guys are thinking. Man, can I get a video of that? Somehow we couldn't find one. And it was like the coolest toy ever. And so I remember getting to, to that Christmas and, like, putting everything on that list. But saying, dear Lord, baby Jesus, please, if you you can have my parents get me anything, it's going to be this toy. And sure enough, I opened it on Christmas Day, and I was so excited. I, I put it together, and I put in all the batteries, and I played with it like the whole rest of the day. And then we went to my aunt and uncle's house, and I took it with me to my aunt and uncle's house and set it up in their living room. They're like, you're a weird kid, but we love you anyways. You know, we're family. And then we kind of packed up and went home and uh, put it in the closet. We went to our other side of the family. And then to be honest, I don't actually think I played with it ever again. <laughs> 
It was like the best 48 hours of my life, but after those couple days, I was just kind of done with it. It didn't really bring me any joy or excitement that I thought it would. Anybody been there before? A toy, a gift that you thought was going to give you this, this lifetime fulfillment and abundance of joy, and it actually just lasted a day, a week, a month. I mean, maybe it was a, a Giga Pet, a Cabbage Patch doll. I heard there was this thing called the Atari at one point. Maybe, you know, it was a, a Furby, which still, why would anybody give somebody something that creepy? But maybe that was what you wanted. But then sure enough, you found that over time, the, the joy that it once brought you actually kind of faded away. Because here's the truth, is that we live in a society of transactional joy. Our society often says that in order to get joy, in order to receive joy, you've got to pay up. You've got to give something, you've got to pay, you've got to maybe take something from someone else. We live in a society in which there's a give and a take in, in regards to the joy you find in your life. Whether it's a thing, a job, a relationship, whatever it is, oftentimes we say, there, well, there's kind of a give and take with joy. And a transaction is something that reminds us that something has to be paid, but at the same time, too, we understand that not all transactions last. You're going to have to pay again. It's going to fade. It's not going to last. So kind of the central question of the Grinch movies and kind of the question we want to pose to you this morning is surrounded around this idea of joy. That where are you looking for joy in your life? It's Christmas. We sing about joy. We give gifts of joy. We do things out of joy. But where are you looking in your life to find true everlasting Joy. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the book of John if you haven't gotten there already. The book of John is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the second half of the Bible. These four guys, their names are what are called the Gospels, and they give us an account of who Jesus was, what Jesus did, uh, the miracles he performed, but most importantly, it tells us about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus that has given us grace in new life. It is the record of who Jesus was. In John chapter 9, Jesus has just kind of got finished with this sparring match against the Pharisees, and there was this blind man, they're kind of asking Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? And Jesus says it has nothing to do with that. Sin is something that is in us all, and this blind man and didn't do anything wrong. And then chapter 10, Jesus is going to give us this illustration and this teaching. And then in about verse 19 through 21, uh, right at the end of the passage we're going to look at today, uh, Jesus is actually heading towards the temple to celebrate Hanukkah. Jesus, being a Jewish man, was honoring the traditions of the Jewish people and his, his fellow brothers and sisters of his heritage, honoring that Jewish tradition. Now, the thing about Hanukkah, it's a, probably a holiday that not a, a lot of us know a whole lot about. There's a lot of meaning and significance. And just like Christmas, Hanukkah, because of our society, has somewhat changed. But one of the cornerstone things of Hanukkah was trying to figure out who are the spiritual leaders that we ought to listen to. How do we listen to them, follow them? What are the ones in which have, have given us the things of this life? And Hanukkah is that reminder that it is God and God alone who provides us the things of this life. And so this idea that Jesus is going to unpack for us today, this teaching, is kind of like Jesus fulfilling what is the true meaning of joy? What is the true meaning of Christmas? Where do we find fulfillment even in Hanukkah? John chapter 10, starting in, in verse 1, is where Jesus starts. He says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who, uh, who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. 
He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought them all out on his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So Jesus kind of opens up and he gives us this illustration. He uses this phrase, very truly. Your translation might say truly, truly. This is Jesus' way of kind of saying, all right, everybody, watch, watch, listen, listen. I'm going to tell you something real good here. And he begins telling them about something that they were all familiar with. He was talking to them about shepherding and what shepherding looks like and the point of shepherding and where it found its value. And he gives us these aspects of the the shepherding uh, uh, profession. He said, there's a gate or a door. There is uh, these thieves and robbers trying to steal and, and distract and, and take the sheep. There is uh, a shepherd himself, and then there's the shepherd's voice. And so Jesus is kind of using this as a story, an illustration, a figure of speech to, to build up a very important teaching for us. And so he starts off with this idea of a gate. He says there's a gate in which there's the sheep, and it creates a sheep pen. And so what oftentimes it looked like is if you went and you found one of these shepherds uh, kind of taking care of their flock, they would oftentimes put their sheep pen against the bluff of a hill or even a cave. And they would create, they would build this like U that came out from it. Um, They'd build a wall and put some thistles on top, kind of like an open dome. And then there would be just one single entrance, only one way in or out of that sheep pen. There was only one way in or out. You couldn't get over, you couldn't get under. There's only one way in or out. And he said, therefore, there is only one entrance. There is a door. And at that door, the shepherd would either stand watch or he would hire somebody else to protect and guide his sheep. Now, he says there are some thieves and robbers. The thieves would maybe try to sneak in like spies. The robbers would come in with with violence. Either way, the thieves and the robbers, their intention is not good. Their intention is to distract the sheep, to steal the sheep, to steer the sheep to maybe a different pasture or a, or, or a different shepherd. And then Jesus introduces us to something a little more unique. He says, but the reason these sheep don't listen is because of the voice. He says, the voice of the shepherd, he knows his sheep by name. Sheep one, sheep two, sheep three, or maybe more creative than that. And the voice of the shepherd is something that signifies more than just the voice you're hearing from me right now. See, the voice was something that was powerful. That simply a shepherd by his voice would take care of his sheep, guide his sheep, feed his sheep, look after his sheep merely by his voice. The voice was kind of the heart of the shepherd, the way in which he looked after them. The prophet Isaiah talks about Jesus being the shepherd, God being our shepherd, he uses this prophecy as an example. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, it says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. This is talking about the love that God has for us. He gathers the lambs in his arm. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. You see, the voice is a word that didn't just mean voice. It meant voice, it meant tune, and it meant intention. So it wouldn't have been uncommon for you to go find an ancient Middle Eastern shepherd, not just to be talking to his sheep, but he'd oftentimes be singing to his sheep too. I'm a shepherd and I'm singing and I'm singing for my sheep. And uh, Yeah, that joke didn't go over well first service either. <laughs> it was the heart behind his care and his intentionality. 
for the sheep. Some shepherds who didn't have a voice would uh, play a small flute and they'd play the same tune over and over and over again. And this was supposed to be an auditory symbol for the sheep that when you hear this tune, when you hear this voice, when you recognize it, that is your shepherd. So that when the thief tries to distract you, when the thief says, hey, there's a better pasture over here, when a robber says, I'm gonna come take you to a different shepherd, when there was a voice or a tune they did not recognize, it says the sheep, they fled. Simply by his voice, the shepherd communicated his heart to his sheep. He protected them. He cared for them. He led them. He steered them. Essentially, we could say it this way, that shepherds by their voice would provide fullness and abundance of life for their sheep. But then in verse 6, something interesting happens. The Pharisees say, we don't understand. Now, it's an interesting word that uh, doesn't actually mean understand. The better translation would be they were uh, unsure of how to apply it to their lives. Some scholars think that it just should say that there was a flat-out unwillingness for the Pharisees to listen. I think for a lot of us, when it comes to following Jesus, we know his voice. We know that he calls us out to. We know what he requires. It's usually not a misunderstanding. It's a willingness, right? In just a few weeks, uh, January 1 is going to hit all of our calendars. And that means New Year's resolutions for everyone, right? And the most common New Year's resolution for majority of people or majority of the world is people say, all right, today is the day, this is the year that I'm going to lose some weight. And uh, for a lot of us, we understand how we ought to lose weight if that's one of our goals, right? We say, well, I just got to probably drink a whole lot more water and less uh, soda. I should probably eat less cake and brownies and ice cream and more broccoli and stuff that just doesn't taste as good. Um, if I'm not exercising, I should probably exercise more. If I am exercising, I should stick to it or maybe up it. A lot of us, if we have the goal, we know and understand how we should lose weight. The problem we run into is not do we understand how to lose weight. The problem is we don't have a willingness to actually do those things. And so Jesus is telling this story, he's telling this illustration about this shepherd and a gate and, and all these voices and all the, 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 the thieves and the robbers and all this type of stuff. And Jesus says, your problem oftentimes is not that you don't understand, your problem is you might have an unwillingness of your heart to follow. And so Jesus, he, he gives us this figure of speech more so as a way to set up what he's actually trying to tell us. This is how Jesus continues, starting in verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, he says, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and they will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus makes a very bold and gregarious statement here. He says something that's pretty radical when he says that I am the gate or I am the door. Now remember, there are pens. It didn't have a backdoor entrance. It didn't have, you know, a secondary or a third entrance. There was only one way in and out to belong to a family, a flock of sheep. And Jesus is making this statement. He says, I am that door. 
I am that, 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 that gate. That if you want to belong to the fold of God, it is only through I. But Jesus is saying that it's faith in me. It's the grace that I will give unto you, my life, death, and resurrection. That is the only way in which you can belong to the family of God. There is no door of good works. There is no door that lets other gods in. There is no door of other religions. There is no door of church attendance. There is no door of what your pastor says or doesn't say. There is no door on how much you give or how much you serve. There is only one door in which you belong to the family of God, and that is Jesus the gate. Now, some of those things are good things, are valuable things, but there is only one way, one gate, one door, and that is faith in Jesus. In just a few chapters, John's going to say something very similar. In John chapter 14, verse 6, he's going to say, and Jesus answered them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Through me through a gate through a door but there is only one he says once you're in the thieves the robbers they can tell you all they want they can distract you all you want but you will know the shepherd's voice why because he calls you by name he knows you by name he knows your heart he knows your desires he knows your wants he will call you out These other thieves, these other robbers, they might try to trick you. Let me give you a better pasture. Let me give you a greener grass. Let me give you a colder water. Let me give you more fulfillment in this life. Let me tell you how to actually take the reins of your own spirituality. Let me show you something that's going to fill you more up than maybe this flock will. And Jesus says, but those sheep? who have entered through that one gate, they can distinguish that is not the tune, that is not the voice, that is not the heart of my shepherd. What are the voices in your life trying to tell you, go this way, come with me, go over here, follow that shepherd, join this flock? Because if it's any voice other than Jesus, those voices steal kill, and destroy. And then we bump up to verse 10. And don't we all love verse 10? We get to verse 10, we're like, yes, I love this verse. It's so good. Warms my heart. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And we, we look at that verse and we say, I want that verse. Jesus, give me that verse. Pour it into my life. How do, how do, how do I live this verse out? I am the door. I am the gate. It is my voice alone that gives you life, that gives you abundance. Dare I say it, that gives you joy in this world. Jesus, our gate, he calls us to enter not a lifeless, not a miserable, not a lost, not a hungry, not a thirsty life, but one full, abundant, and joyful Jesus continues the illustration. He says this, starting in verse 11. He says, so I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Hate that guy. 
The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my sheep and they know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles, everyone having a spot in the family of God. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. He's foreshadowing his resurrection here. It's what gives Jesus power to give us the spirit. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now, shepherds are fairly common throughout scripture. Any shepherds in here today? Anybody a shepherd? Anybody ever meet a shepherd? Okay, just a couple of hands. Thing is, uh, whether or not we know a shepherd or a shepherd, you probably have a, a somewhat basic understanding of what a shepherd does. A shepherd has sheep, and it's his job to do whatever it takes to take care of that sheep. It's pretty simple. Jesus chose this illustration because it was a very common uh, profession in that day. And so when Jesus said that I am the good shepherd, I am the door, what people would begin to understand and begin to realize is like, even though I'm not a shepherd, I can, I can see where Jesus is going with this. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, oftentimes the spiritual leaders were called shepherds. Moses and David were called good shepherds. In the kings, the bad kings, the kings who, who weren't good spiritual leaders, they were often called poor shepherds. Shepherds were the ones that heard the story about baby Jesus being born first. And shepherds are an illustration, it's a word used to describe the role of pastors and disciple makers in our church today. So imagine with me for a second that you're a sheep, okay? It's just maybe if you close your eyes if you want. You're, you're covered in wool and you're nice and warm and fuzzy. You're a little fluffy. You just got your hair did and curled. So you're just, you're a pristine sheep today. And you're hanging out with all your other sheep friends. And you guys smell alike, but you don't care because you're all sheep and it don't really matter. And you're hanging out, but you live in the desert, and in this desert, there's a lot of trials that, that you have to face on a daily basis. Well, you got to find food, which is hard to come by. Water is pretty, probably pretty scarce. Not to mention that there are thieves and robbers trying to steal you, trying to harm you, trying to take you to a different pasture or, 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 or to a different shepherd. There are wolves trying to attack you, to tear you down, to injure you, to hurt you intentionally. Imagine you're one of these sheep. And you hear about a shepherd. And this shepherd's sheep, they're always full. They're never thirsty. This shepherd fends off all of the, all the bad guys, all the thieves and the robbers. These sheep, they never go hungry. They're never thirsty. These sheep, they're always protected. They always have everything that they need. What would go through your mind in that moment if you were one of those sheep? But, no. My life is awesome. It's full. It's abundant. I have the best, most joyful life ever. But it's because, not because I'm a sheep, but because of my good shepherd. Jesus uses this illustration, and it's a tight one that we can apply to our lives today. 
We live in a spiritual desert, don't we? There are thieves and robbers looking to distract you. There's a better pasture over here. There's better water over here. This one's got more toys. There's wolves trying to trip you up. There's people trying to sneak in, take you somewhere else. We live in a world in which we're constantly trying to survive. And spiritually, it's the same thing. So if you're a sheep that lives in the desert, wouldn't you want to live in the fold of God with the good shepherd? Jesus is our good shepherd who brings us joy. No matter what the thief says, no matter what the robber says, no matter how much greener that grass claims to be, no matter how much that water seems to be cooler or runner or fresher, that Jesus is our good shepherd that says, if you are in my pen, if you've come in through me because I am the door and I am your good shepherd, you will know my voice. And if you let my voice, my heart control, fill, direct your life, you will have abundant life, life to the fullness. See, this word good is a word that we use a lot, right? It's not a super good word. We, you know, how was that, uh, how was church today? It was pretty good. How was that burrito? <laughs> it was good. <laughs> Did you have a good day at work? Yeah, it's good. See, the word good here, it's not melancholic, it's not nonchalant. It's a word that means noble. It's a word that talks about the amount of effort that it goes to being a good shepherd. Tireless. Takes everything from a shepherd. That a shepherd has to give up everything out of himself and probably not get much in return in order to be a good shepherd. See, the word good is what allows us to distinguish between a good shepherd and a bad shepherd or a good shepherd and a hired hand. And it's directly connected to what Jesus said. He says, I am the good shepherd for this sole reason. I lay down my life for my sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd because he laid down his life on your behalf. Jesus was the good shepherd because he says, I want to be your door. The only way in which you can be saved and the only way in which you can be sustained in this life, in this world, in my family is because of Jesus. The thing is, as a shepherd, he enjoys doing that. Jesus didn't reluctantly die. He did it because that's what had to be done. To care, direct, guide, share his voice with his sheep. Jesus finds joy in having died for you. So my question is, do we find joy in Jesus the same way in which he finds joy in us? There's a couple scholars who use a, a term, or it's more of a phrase that says, God is most satisfied in us when we are most satisfied in him. Are you following the voice of the good shepherd? Are you listening to where he wants to lead you, guide you? Well, where does the good shepherd lead me? Where does the good shepherd guide me? It rings Psalm 23, doesn't it? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me to green pastures, to still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. I fear no evil because my shepherd is with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Jesus is that good shepherd. 
So it made me think, as somebody who is a pastor, we're often referred to as shepherds. What is the role of the shepherd? What should a shepherd be doing? And how can I express that I am not your good shepherd? This is what the prophet Ezekiel said in chapter 34, talking about how only God is the sufficient shepherd of our lives. He says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and of darkness. Let me say this this morning, is that I am not a good shepherd. I'm not. I'm sinful, broken, messed up, just like all of us. We try as best as we can to be good shepherds, but you can't use the word good to define us. I cannot bring you joy in this life that does not end. I cannot bring you abundance of life that does not end. But here's what I have found out, is that if you come to hear my voice, what I can say is I do know the voice of the good shepherd. I do know the voice of the one who can bring you abundance of life, the joy in life, the everything that you desire in this life belonging to Jesus, that I myself am not the good shepherd, but I can direct you to him. I can tell you about him. You see, my goal is to not to get you to like me. My goal is to not to get you to love me. My goal is to not get you to, to hang on every word that comes out of Eric's mouth. Why? Because I am not the good shepherd. My goal is to say, but I know him, and he knows you. Listen to his voice. Because the words that come out of my voice, here in the pulpit, trying to tell you about the word of God, is it's the good shepherd in me already. It's his spirit. Our goal as shepherds is not to get you to like Eric or Danny or Daniel or a staff member or an elder. Our goal is to say, we know the good shepherd. He's the one you follow. He's the voice you listen to. He's the one who can bring you joy, abundance in this life. Why? Because only the good shepherd can bring you lasting joy. In a season in which we're trying to give joy, in a season in which we're trying to receive joy, in a season in which we're trying to chase after joy, only the good shepherd, the one who is the gate, the one who is the good shepherd, can bring you lasting joy joy. Are you following his voice? Are you telling the thieves, the robbers, trying to distract you, trying to steal, kill, destroy you, telling them, you're not my voice. That is not my, the tune of my shepherd. I will not listen to you. I am listening, waiting to hear the voice of my shepherd. Do you listen for the voice of the good shepherd, knowing that that is where true joy is found? So as we want to move to a time of response this morning, let me just re-ask that question one more time. Is what does joy look like? What does a joyful like life look like? How do we receive joy in this life? Because it is this season, it is this time, it is this part of the year in which we're trying to figure that out. We try to give gifts of joy. We try to receive gifts of joy. We try to serve in joyful ways. And those are all good things. Those are all necessary things. But if you are even looking at those things for joy, those will fade. 
that gift will wear off, that serving opportunity will end. True lasting joy is found only forever when we walk through the gate, faith alone through the grace of Jesus and say, good shepherd, let me hear your voice. Lead me, guide me, protect me, steward me, steer me. Life in Jesus is abundant. It is full. And it's full of joy. It just comes down to us. Are we willing to hear that voice? Are we willing to follow when he says, come this way, make a left, go right, trust me around this corner? Where are you looking for joy in this life? It's a question that I had to ask myself this week, to be honest with you. That as I was preparing this message, it was the spirit was just saying, you've been looking for joy in a lot of, not the right places. And some of them were good places, but Jesus is saying that there is only one place where true lasting joy is forever. So I had to get on my knees and pray to God, God, forgive me. I'm not the good shepherd. Only you are. And only you bring joy into this flock. Only you bring joy into my life. May everything else be out of an overflowing of that joy that you've placed inside of me. We get to remember this morning why that joy exists. We get to celebrate this morning why that joy is real for all of us. We have these communion stations all throughout the room. They've got these little candles on them. And at these stations, there's like a little cracker and some juice. Cracker represents the body of the good shepherd that was broken for you and the blood of the good shepherd that was spilt for you. The good shepherd who laid down his life and took it up again so that he can say, hear my voice, listen to me. I am the door, I am the gate, and I am your good shepherd. If you want a joyful life, listen to the good shepherd. If you want an abundant life, listen to the good shepherd. If you want a life that is not lifeless, listen to the good shepherd. As the band gets ready to lead us in worship, we invite you, if you have said yes to Jesus, if you believe that, that he is your good shepherd, whether you're a regular attender, a member, you're just visiting, you're checking things out, if you have said yes to Jesus, we invite you to remember that this morning with us. Maybe you're like me and you need to spend some time going before God. We've got these benches here at the front of the stage. Maybe you just want to come forward and kneel and say, God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that when I look for joy in places other than you, that you have given me the opportunity to repent. You've given me the opportunity to embrace your truth. May your voice be the voice that I listen to. Would you pray with me as we continue to worship? Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you, thank you for the way in which you sought us out. For the way in which you knew that Jesus, your son, had to be the gate. That he had to be the good shepherd. That not only does he save us, but he sustains us in this life. That as we become more like you, that is because of your voice. May we be people who understand that when we are sheep 
and we make a wrong turn or we eat the wrong grass or we go after something else, that your voice calls us back, that you know us by name because you love us. Your heart is real. It is active in our lives. May we turn over to you those ways in which we have sought joy in something or someone else. May you deliver us that abundance, that fullness of life, that joy that only your son Jesus can bring. Be with us this morning as we respond to your word. It's your name that we pray. Amen.